So our reading today is from uh, Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 1 through to verse 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Several weeks ago, I was on holiday in Scotland with our family. And the cottage we were staying in was right on the banks of Loch Fyne. It's the most stunning location. And we were told that there would be fishing rods in the shed and we could use them. And the lock was full of mackerel. That's what we were told. So pretty much every day, we'd go with a fishing rod and I caught nothing. Whole week, I had one bite. My kids, on the other hand, caught crabs on a little pier right by the cottage. And they caught Loads of crabs. On the last day, we met three Glaswegian fishermen. And these guys were from proper Glasgow, from like Govan. And I could understand about every second or third word. And to try and connect with them, I said, well, I used to work for a Glaswegian. And if you've been in our church for a very long time, you'll know of a lady called Anne McLaurin, who's from Glasgow. But folks, she's from a place called Bear's Den, which is the forward of Glasgow. So when I said she's from Glasgow, they said, well, where's she from? And I said, from Bear's Den. They said, that's England. <laughs> that's in all Glasgow. So our kids were, they were fishing, and they were catching loads. And as our kids were running around their feet, we began to talk, and they were the warmest friendliest, loveliest guys. I don't know what they'd done in a previous... They had the kind of feeling of perhaps they were ex-policemen. They had that, that kind of gravitas, that, that sense of we've seen life. All of them now were coach drivers. And we connected because the one guy, the kind of leader of these fishermen, would drive from Glasgow to Birmingham. That was his job. But he would call in a city called Sheffield. 
And so we got chatting about Sheffield and about industry and about the West Midlands and Glasgow. And, oh, and we covered a range of topics. Let me, we, we, we covered Brexit. We covered uh, Scottish independence. Uh, he shared his views around Nicola Sturgeon, which I won't share because, uh, well, I just won't share them for a variety of reasons. And then he said something which I think captures what a lot of people say right now. He said, it's all changing. Everything's changing. And he looks at my three-year-old daughter and he says, I worry what kind of world they're going to grow up in. And that captures the hearts of lots of generations there is so much significant social change. Today is the 11th of September, 21 years ago. A defining moment globally. Think of the polarization within politics, whether you're pro-Brexit or you're not pro-Brexit, whether you keep close tabs, what's happening across the pond in the United States, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. None of us can deny that the public discourse in politics is becoming toxic. And then think of the movements around the global pandemic. Think of the reality of climate change and ecological disaster. Think of the George, George Floyd and the, and the rise for heart for justice and racism and the realization that it is what a lot of people live with day in, day out, and something needs to change. And then for many people, the, the thing that seemed unimaginable was Russia invading Ukraine, the likes of which we have not seen since the Second World War. Unprecedented change. And the thing that it seems to me in this moment and at this time is one of the, the factors that is so hard for people in our nation is because the Queen, Her Majesty was the Queen, in her 70-year reign was this constant, ever-present source of dignified hope. Somebody yesterday said she, she was like the nation's grandmother. She, she was the one who would speak to her subjects at the most profoundly difficult times. And as we traverse these tumultuous times, her voice has gone. But let's take a moment to pause. What was behind her consistency? What was it that was behind her constant source of wisdom? It's fascinating that in these post-Christian times, that yet even the most ardent secular journalists are speaking of her faith in Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I saw an interview with uh, one of her chaplains at Windsor. And he talked of her faith, her sense of humor, but really of her profound sense of faith in Jesus. 
The Bishop of Ely once said when we were living in Cambridge, he said that the Queen had said to him that she, she was cranking, well, she didn't use those words, I'm sure, but she said that she was becoming more explicit in her Christmas messages because she felt that Christians were becoming too reticent, reticent to talk of their faith. There was a fear. As I mentioned earlier, the Bishop of Sheffield said to me yesterday that she talked about our city, or not this region, this, this diocese. And he describes the moment that, that privately, before you become a bishop, bishop you go to Buckingham Palace and you, and you kneel before her and, and she lays on her hands and said the presence of God was tangible as she prayed. And then if you've watched The, the, the Crown on Netflix... And you see there's something of the Queen's faith. Yes, it's a, it's a show, but, but you see something of her faith where she would kneel down by her bed each night and pray. And the sense in which her faith comes alive when she becomes friend with the late evangelist, Billy Graham. Through her consistency on the public stage to a nation and commonwealth, there is this deep private faith which permeates everything that she did and all that she stood for. She said this in 2011, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a savior with the power to forgive. In 2014, she says this, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration, an anchor in my life. A role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to, to, to seek to respect and value all people, whatever faith or none. A man called Mark Green has written the most amazing obituary for Her Majesty the Queen. And, and if, you, if, you, if you Google it, Mark Green, obituary, the Queen, it's absolutely profound. Because what he does is he captures some of the themes that are emerging in this moment and finds a deeper meaning for what, is the, what was it that fueled Her Majesty the Queen. And he talks about a life of surrendered devotion. And we see that supremely in Jesus Christ. In a time when, when self-fulfillment seems to be the name of the game. And even folks, if we're honest, when we talk around calling in the church, we really can be masking this sense of self-fulfillment. What am I going to do to bring a sense of fulfillment? How am I going to add value to my life? How am I going to find meaning? Her Majesty found fulfillment in surrender and in service. Mark Green says this, More broadly, we can see the influence of Christ on her understanding of her job and how she did it. At the heart of this is the extraordinary impact of one particular moment in the coronation. It's not when the solid gold St. Edward's crown was laid on her head. 
and she officially became queen. But that moment was not televised because it was seen too holy to be for mass broadcast. It's the moment. Stripped of all her flowing robes, she knelt in a simple white dress and was anointed with holy oil. It was that moment when she dedicated herself to God to serve him by serving her people. At one level, her queenship was an accident of birth, an inevitable consequence of her uncle's abdication, but she saw it as God's will, as God's calling, and therefore as something that she would need his help to do. And it was a calling she embraced, holy. Royal biographer William Shawcross wrote, she found like her mother before, an almost sacrificial quality at the heart of her service. In that moment, it captures something of the Apostle Paul who quoting a hymn reveals to us the nature and way in which Jesus Christ lived. At the start of uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common in the sharing, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. He says, if, if, that we are to find a sense of freedom in life by giving up life, by doing the thing that is that God is asking us to do. Christ-like example of deep service and submission became a fundamental piece of the Queen's and feature of her reign. The Bishop of Plymouth said this, that the Queen had said that she hoped that Jesus would return quickly so that she could surrender her crown before his. The Queen modelled beautiful, sacrificial nature of leadership in a time when the very notion of leadership is something that is questioned and critiqued. The thing that fuels us in true leadership is not the pursuit of ambition to do it well, but true fulfillment is the pursuit of Jesus Christ. The wonder of the gospel is that true and beautiful freedom is found in him and him alone. And sometimes the thing that we fear most of giving over things in our life is when we do, we find that he fulfills every one of our needs. So how, folks, in this cultural moment, do we navigate this particular time as the nation heads into a season of mourning? How do we navigate sometimes the overwhelming uncertainty that each one of us faces? Fear for our children, the reality of grief. How, do we, how are we going to pay the bills this winter? 
What are we going to do with the future? How long am I going to live? Questions, if we're honest, in our lowest moment we think about, perhaps in our best moments we begin to think about, what do we do? I wonder if the Majesty of the Queen's posture of humility like, might have something to reveal to us, something to offer us an insight into this season. If it's true that every night Her Majesty the Queen got on her knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something around in that posture of submission and surrender. Coming before the Lord to say, you're in control, I'm not. In that moment of submission and surrender, we can, are invited by the Lord to bring all our fears, all of our anxieties, all of the things that are on our minds, and bring them to him. And say, Lord, I give all of these things over to you. Will you help me? And it's in these moments, sometimes in the hardest moments, that we encounter the most beautiful and extraordinary grace. It's sometimes in our worst moments, sometimes in our most painful moments, where we say, I can't do it anymore that we meet the risen Jesus. The one who holds it all together. It's in the moments where we come to the end of ourselves. When we meet him in suffering. That he's in it. Right with us. He leads us through it. And he redeems it. And so, folks, as we move forward, at 11 o'clock today, we will send out a team of people into some sense of uncertainty. We'll send them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll send them out in the knowledge that the presence of God will be with them and in the knowledge that he's making all things new. And in the knowledge that as they go out into Furvail and as we release them and bless them and pray for them, on the promise that even in the hardest of times, in our hardest moments, he promises his presence. And as he promises his presence, surely there is hope in those darkest moments. Because there, his hope and light burns the brightest. So today, friends, we don't navigate this season as those without hope. We do it with hope. We give thanks for the life of Her Majesty the Queen. We give thanks for the life of her faith that fueled her. And we give thanks that she is rejoicing in a better place. A better place, folks, that we will be. And while we wait for that day, we labor for our city with a hope that comes from another place. And we embrace 
his presence in the midst of whatever situation we may find ourselves in, knowing that if he is for us and he's with us, then he will work his purposes. Let's pray.